Well, welcome to Woven Covenant Church. It's good to see all of you here today. We have been since January in a series called Hashtag Daniel Plan. Daniel Plan. And it's a series that is not just about spiritual health. It's also about taking care of our bodies. And so the Daniel Plan goes back to Daniel chapter 1, where you have four youths, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, and how they committed themselves to eating only vegetables and water, and how they ended up more healthy than all of the young men, young people of the land. And so that's what this series is really about. You know, New Year, New You, 2018. Um, I still haven't taken my Christmas lights down. <laughs> and so talk about uh, New Year's resolutions. Um, what are we, almost in March, right? We don't turn it on. We don't turn it on, but uh, it's March already, and uh, the lights are still up. But I am eating better. <laughs> I'm eating better. So that's what this series is about, is making this transition into the new year. Really, at the beginning of the new year, we always have to capitalize. We preachers have to capitalize on these, new year, on these you know, resolution, New Year's resolutions thing. But I really hope that, not just for all of you, but for me too, that I can stay in this New Year, New You vision, and it's not just something that I do like, you know, I'm giving up Facebook for Lent. Maybe you should just give up Facebook for good. <laughs> that's, the new, that's the new trendy thing. Give up Facebook for good. Um, and for me, I don't know if I could really just keep on this vegetable-only diet. I don't know if my, my, uh, my, my body is at that place where I'm starting to feel good, but it's still doing this detox thing. So we did conclude the retreat last Sunday, and yes, we ate really well. And then come Monday, I started um, changing my diet, um, fiber, oatmeal. Um, I have oatmeal at least once a day and lots of, veg- lots of vegetables. And I started feeling really good by midweek. I, I don't know if that's placebo effect, but I really started to feel the difference. I started to feel clean. And, uh, you know, once a week you have a cheat meal and all that stuff. I'm not really going to come down really strict on, strict on this. But I really encourage you. I've heard from others as well about how this Daniel Plan series has been helpful and how um, changing diet has been not just a, a physical thing, but it affects our moods. It affects our spirits. And I made a case for that. I said, you can't just take care of your spirit without taking care of your body. They are symbiotically connected. It is necessary for us to take care of our bodies if we want our spiritual life to get to the next level. This is an important, I think, and a very important principle. You're going to hit a a ceiling if we're taking care of our souls, but lacking physical care. I really, really believe that we'll hit a ceiling. So today, I'm going to continue talking about Daniel chapter 1. Two weeks ago, we started. Today, I'm going to finish eight life lessons, eight life lessons from Daniel chapter 1. Uh, I know that's a lot of life lessons, but we'll, we'll make our way through them briskly. We went through the first five last time, and I'm going to just review them really quick. So if you have your Bible, you can look at Daniel chapter 1 as I recap these first few life lessons and then continue the teaching of the Daniel plan. The first life lesson, the first life lesson was, it, life will not order itself perfectly for me to succeed. And you can fill that fill that in the blank. Life will not be perfect in order for you to have success. 
And we see that in the first two verses of Daniel. Daniel opens up sharing some context clues. Those of you that are in grade school, you know that you have to use the context, use the context. Well, Daniel uh, chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, it's all the background story. It tells about how Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, descends upon Jerusalem and lays siege to the holy city, and horrific things happen. It is not the best of times. It's really a very dismal, dismal period in Jewish history. And the whole point, I believe, of the first two verses is to, is to, is to set up the adversity that Daniel and his, and his friends are birthed in, lest we think that Daniel had an easy life. It's important to recognize that this was a very, very tragic time. So that's the first life lesson. Life will not order itself perfectly for me to succeed. In verse 3, 3 and 4, we start to hear the qualities of Daniel. My goodness, it, you know, it sounds like these guys were not only strong and good-looking and smart, I mean, it's the total package. You know, watching the Olympics these days, um, for some reason, you, you, for some reason, I, I've noticed it this year that our athletes—they're not only strong, but they look like models. They're really good. It's just not fair. The, you have the genetics, all the genetics combined. You know, we talk about football a couple of weeks ago with the Super Bowl. The conversation going on. These guys can't be that smart, and yet they have to memorize these huge playbooks before, you know, every game. I mean, what justice is there? The genetics, it's not fair, God, you know, strong, good-looking, and smart, all in one package. And that's what we have in Daniel and his friends. And you might say to Daniel, you know, you guys, you just have everything, you just have everything kind of set up for you, don't you? And Daniel, I believe, would tell you, I think Daniel would tell us, my life is not as easy as you think. I witnessed my nation, I witnessed the holy city get torn down and raised. I witnessed, if it's true, that Daniel was from the nobility, possibly even from the lineage of King Zedekiah himself. It's possible that Daniel witnessed his cousins, his brothers even, taken away, one by one, summarily executed right in front of King Zedekiah's eyes, if you remember that story terrified for his own life. What if they take me? He had to undergo an ancient holocaust, one of the first holocausts in Jewish history, and they've had a number. They've had a number. And Daniel had to go through the experience at 14 years old. We've, we have some people that are around, there's a couple of people around the age of 14, to be torn away from their homes, torn away and sent off to a completely foreign land. I mean, imagine what that must be like, that somebody comes to your house and takes you away from your mom and your dad and forces you to live in another strange, different country. And in the midst of all of that context, we're saying, well, Daniel, you had everything going for you. You had all the genetics. But he's telling me, don't tell me, don't tell me that I have it easy. Adversity, adversity, this is the second life lesson. Adversity is what made Daniel who he is. If it wasn't for verses 1 and 2, I don't think Daniel would have really been even a footnote in a historian's textbook. Daniel would be nobody. Now understand, if you've ever read the book of Daniel, who, who has ever read the book of Daniel before? At least once. 
And if you know a little bit about the story of Daniel, this is a remarkable, remarkable person. He served not only in the advisory cabinet of the king, he served in the advisory cabinet of, I believe, four kings, three or four kings. He was somebody in his old age was recognized as one of the wisest people to have lived. A remarkable human being, but Daniel would not have become Daniel if nothing happened in his lifetime, if this skipped a generation. It was the adversity that made him. Friends, your adversity is what crafts your life. If you have a mindset where you say, well, I'm not genetically, I'm not genetically, you know, I'm not genetically able to do what certain people do. And basically, I'm just going to consign myself to living as second rate or second best. While the jocks at school, those are the first rate people. You know, once we kind of give into that mindset, we will get nowhere. Use your adversity. This is the message. Use your adversity. I love it. Sometimes, you know, in conversations with my friends on, on, on the phone, and we complain to each other sometimes, and they complain and complain and complain, and the best thing that I can say, man, I'm sick and tired of hearing it. Use it. Use it. Life is hard. Life is tough. Use it. Because if you're going to just complain about it endlessly, You've pretty much given into a fixed mindset that says, I'm in this station. I can't grow. Use it. Okay, so that's the second lesson. It is adversity that made Daniel. Daniel wasn't born. Daniel was made. Great people are not just uh, gestated. (laughs) They are made. They are carved. They are chiseled. Great people Know what it's like to be on the anvil of the difficulty of life. So young people, what is the message? Life will be hard, but you have to grow through it. And we continue on in verse 5. In verse 5, we see the king appointing food. We see the king appointing, appointing things uh, all throughout the land. In chapter 1, that word appointing appears a lot. It's a, it's a common word in the Hebrew Bible, a point. Well, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, I decree, I declare. Wouldn't it be great if you could just appoint and tell people, in the king's personal service, as these young men serve, the king appoints their food. Understand, this is the third life lesson. Somebody might appoint you. Somebody might open the door for you, but always remember who does the appointing. Remember who it is that really is in control. Remember who it is that does the appointing. We move on with the fourth lesson. The fourth lesson, it comes from verses 6 and 7. This is a little fun. This is fun. Here, the actual names of Daniel and his friends are introduced. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. How many of you are fans of Superman? How many of you know what Superman's real name is? What is it? Kal-El. And I, I, I'm, it's interesting. And if you know, uh, for additional points, what was his father's name? Jor-El. So you have Kal-El and Jor-El. I don't know the, the, the creator of Superman if they were Jewish. I don't know what their intention was. But El is the Hebrew name for God. El. 
it is one of the Hebrew names for God. And so when you have a name like Daniel, Daniel, which means God is my judge, or when you have a name like Mishael, which means who is like God or the God of Israel, what you have are what's called Theophorus names, names that have divinity built into them. And when you're coming into a foreign land and they're saying, hey, these guys coming in, we have to kind of keep them in place. We have to crush them. And so what we're going to do is we're going to change their names. You are no longer Daniel. God is my judge. You are now Belteshazzar or something like that. Or this is funny, uh, Mishael, which means who is like God, who is like what God is, literally. They say, you are no longer Mishael. You are Mishak. Mishak which translates, who is like Aku? I mean, what a crushing experience. What a horrific thing to go through where you, you're, you're proud of your name. Who is like God? And all of a sudden, you, you have to be called, who is like Aku? The Jews were a people of protest. They were a people that were always countercultural. We Christians, we inherit this. We inherit this. I know the movie Black Panther comes out. It's come out, and if you know some of the, some of the, some of the themes of this, of this story, the protest that's behind it, Christians, we have always, and we've inherited this from our Jewish ancestors, we've always been a little bit, a little bit, a lot, it, we've always had this inner DNA, this protest, this going against the cultural, this countercultural current. We've always had a little bit of that fight the power within us. And what we can see here, just in the names of these guys, Daniel, Hananiah, being changed in the name Azariah. Azariah is changed to Abednego. This is interesting. Abednego, Abed, throughout the ancient Near East, it's a, it's a word for servant, Eved. And they said, you are no longer a child or a servant of, of, the, of, of Israel's God. You are now... Avednego, servant of Nego. You're servant of Nego. The thing is, there is no God named Nego. Scholars have searched this up. There is, however, a God named Nebu. Nebu. And Nebu was the second highest deity of the Babylonian pantheon of gods. And it is believed among scholars that his name was not Avednego, as we call him, Abednego. It was actually Avednebo. Servant of Nebo. And what the author of Daniel did was say, ain't no way I'm going to give in to that name. Ain't no way we're going to call him Avednebo. And so scholars recognize that changing the name Nebo to Nego, Avednego, is a deliberate perversion of the Babylonian deity. It's a deliberate perversion. So whenever the name Avednego comes up, it's actually an intentioned countercultural move that says, I will not accept the standards and the norms of the culture that I live in, but I'm going to be countercultural. Even in the naming, even in the recording of this name, he is not Avednego. He was never the servant of Nebo. And so there's this perversion of Avednego. Friends, the fourth lesson is you must infect your operating system. I, I kind of did this for the young people. Infect your OS with the Word of God today. Today. You have to have the Word of God in your life now because you're going to kind of just fall into line. What's your name? Avednego. Avednebo. Avednebo. No, you are not the servant of Nebo. I challenge you. 
young people, I challenge you to read your Bible in its entirety once this year. If you can succeed in doing that, I will take you out for ice cream and cookies and potato chips and all kinds of things after your Daniel plan is done. But if you can read your Bible in its entirety this year, and if you can do it once every year thereafter, then Paul will buy you ice cream. (laughs) So, the Word of God, infect your life with the Word of God. You got to do it now. You can't wait till you're 21 or till you're 41. You got to do it now because while you were growing up in the culture, you have to know how to be countercultural. You have to understand the Word of God and the wisdom of God, the opening chapters of Psalms and Proverbs. What is the most important thing? The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord will guide you. It will protect you. It will keep you from making dumb choices. Know the Word of God so that when your name is in the process of being changed, you will know your identity. Know your identity. Really. Read your Bible. Let me know if you complete it. We continue in verse 8. This gets even more fun. I really enjoyed Daniel chapter 1. You know what's funny is I, was, I prepare my sermons in advance. I was preparing chapter 2 of, of Daniel, and I, I was like, what am I reading? I can read it, but I don't understand it. It turns out chapter 2, almost to the end of Daniel, is written in Aramaic. It's one of the longer sections in the Old Testament that's written in Aramaic. I, I have no idea. I don't read. I don't understand Aramaic. Same letters, but I'm like, what in the world is this? Daniel 1, though, was a lot of fun. There's a lot of fun stuff. In Daniel 1, in verse 8, we continue. Uh, Daniel makes up his mind. He says, I'm not going to eat, the, 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 I'm not gonna eat the, the, the king's choice food, the delicacies. And as I read this uh, in the original language, I recognize there is a foreign word here. The word for choice food is not Hebrew. I recognize immediately this is foreign. It's kind of like, um, you know, if you go to a Mediterranean joint and you say, I like the shawarma, please, the shawarma. Shawarma is clearly not an anglicized word. It's a foreign word. In the same way, in verse 8, what we have here is a Persian word, a Persian, an exotic word. And that word is potbag, potbag. Pot bag, pot bag. Pat, pat bag is how you literally say it. And the thing about this Persian delight, Persian delight, the thing about this word pot bag is that it has an allure, even just the sound of it. And there's this sense where they are tempted with all the pot bags of life. And the fifth lesson, the fifth lesson is adverse contexts, they will come with exotic temptations. Adverse contexts will come. When you are in adversity, you, are, you, you, you expect this, especially for young people. When you're, ex- when you're in a new place, let's say you're in college. You know what it's like to go away to college? It's terrifying and exciting at the same time. And your parents drop you off, and you're all alone in this new place with new friends, and somebody comes up to you and says, hey, man, would you like to try some of this pot bag? Would you like to try some of this pot bag? It's nice. It's delicacy. Try out this pot bag. And you have to ask yourself, 
based on your reading of Scripture, is it right for me to try this pot bag, these exotic temptations that come in adverse contexts? Watch out for the pot bag. The pot bag is dangerous. Well, by exotic, I don't necessarily mean foreign. I mean new, novel, something you've never done before. You're going to want to try new things. Try new things. Try skydiving. Try, try like mountain climbing. Try snowboarding. Try, don't try the pot bag. Stay away from the pot bag. We continue with verse 9. Now we get into the new content. That was review. In verse 9, we see that God grants favor and compassion to Daniel in the sight of the commander of the officials. This is where it all begins. Everything prior to this was just preview. It was just, uh, what's the word, prologue. I have a friend who recently shared a story with me and was telling me, and he's, he's older, he's in his 40s, and he told me when he was in his late teens, early 20s, he had an ambition to go to West Point. I don't know if anybody here has ever applied to West Point. I know somebody who has. In order to get into West Point, you have to get an endorsement from a military official. Is that right? One day, lo and behold, an official took notice of him. God granted favor to my friend in the sight of a general, a U.S. general, a general. And he actually got a phone call at the early age of 21 or something, or I guess maybe 18, you know, uh, I'm willing to sponsor you to go to West Point. Now, what do you answer? What do you say when a general of the U.S. Army calls you and says, I'd like to sponsor you to go to West Point? What do you say? Well, my friend said, can I think about it? Which is like, no, you don't say that to a U.S. general. And the U.S. general, the general basically said, yeah, you can think about it. You have 24 hours. You call me next time got 24 hours to think about it. And so he turned off the lights and sat in a dark room and thought about it. And then he called back the general and says, I, I don't think I'm going to do this. Sorry. Do you think he regretted that? To this day, he regrets that. He regrets it. Young people, there comes a point, and old people as well. There will come a point in your life where God will, where God will show you favor. And that's an important word, that word favor, chesed. I believe is the most important word in the Old Testament. It's loving kindness. In the midst of all of the patbag and all of the adversity and the horrible things that are happening, the exile is beginning. In the midst of that, God is going to whisper favor to you, favor. He's going to do little things that show that He is still involved. He's going to show you favor. And in this case, God shows favor through an official. The official notices Daniel and says, I like this guy. He's going to go places. Can I call you back in 24 hours? No. When God shows you favor, this is the sixth lesson. Don't pass up on it. Don't pass up on God's favor. Don't shrink out of fear. Probably the number one reason why we pass up on God's favor, fear. What? What was that saying? Somebody said it. The, the opportunity of a lifetime lasts only the lifetime of that opportunity. You ever hear that? 
Who said that? Like the Sphinx. The opportunity of a lifetime lasts only the lifetime of the opportunity. Don't pass up on God's favor because this, verse 9, is the beginning of Daniel's career. It's the beginning of Daniel's career. And if you're familiar with the story, and I've had the privilege of studying Daniel, oh my gosh, an incredible, incredible career. Billy Graham just passed away this week. By and large, pretty much spotless, immaculate, no scandal. It's remarkable. Daniel was the same. They could find no scandal. They looked, but they could find nothing to tarnish his reputation. Daniel lived that kind of life. He had that kind of career. He had that kind of career. And so, with a career like that, it starts at a crucial moment. Don't pass up. We continue in verse 10. And this is actually where the, uh, where the fasting stuff begins. So listen to this. So the start of this sermon starts off, you know, kind of admonishing our young people. The la- as we near the end of this sermon, it's going to really kind of drill home the Daniel plan stuff. So listen to the Daniel plan stuff, okay? Verse 10, the commander of the officials says to Daniel, Oh, Daniel, listen, I- I'm afraid of Nebuchadnezzar, the king. He appointed, there's that word again, he appointed your food and your drink, the pot bag, You have to eat the pot bag. Why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. He wants you to eat the pot bag. But Daniel says in verse 11, okay, let's make an arrangement. Test us for 10 days. Test us for 10 days. Just give us vegetables and water. Don't give us the pot bag. And then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food, and then deal with us as, I guess what he's saying, in other words, is, look, just keep this between you and I, right? I don't want to, we don't want to eat the pot bag. Just give us vegetables and water. We don't have to report this upstream, and let's see what the results are. If we're better for it, then that, that's good. That, that's, that, that in itself will testify. That in itself will be the proof. And the official says, well... Okay, he listens to them in this matter, and he tested them for 10 days, 10 days. So this is where I rope in the medical specialists. The medical, um, the medical proof, I'm sure it's out there that just eating vegetables and water or cleaning out our systems, I mean, it's, it's, it's just got to... I felt like after two or three days, I already felt more energy. Is that placebo or is that actually... Ten days, that's, uh, Dr. Nick brings up a good point. Ten days. But here's my, here's my thing, ten days? That's not really enough for anything. Ten days, is that long enough to actually experience a physical change? He says ten days. <laughs> ten days, and then, um, and I like this word, he says, oh, well, ten days, you know, maybe the official and Daniel, they went back and forth. He says, 10 days? In 10 days, you're going to disappear. In 10 days, you know what's going to happen in 10 days? Your faces are going to look haggard. And I like this because that word haggard in the Hebrew, it has a range of translation. And, and I learned in school that you shouldn't bring in every word. But really, every word there for that word 
for haggard, it's the, the Hebrew word za'af, it can be translated dejected or troubled or enraged or vexed or peevish or angry. This is not just hungry. You're going to look hangry. The king is going to appoint you and say, come into my presence. I want to ask your advice on this matter. Says, king, whatever. <laughs> you're going to be like, no, man, I don't care about your, I don't care about your, because you're hangry. Well, what's your problem? I haven't eaten for 10 days. Vegetables and water, you'd be hangry too. He says, what if you get hangry in front of the king? You're not just going to kill yourself. You're going to kill me. You know, I have a feeling, strong suspicion that it was a lot longer than 10 days. 10 days, first of all, it's not, lo- it's not long enough to prove anything. If Shadrach, Meshach, and Abed- Abednego were willing to risk their lives and not bow down to the idols of the land... I think it's very likely that they kept their integrity as far as the food was concerned. If Daniel was willing to go into the lion's den than to bow down, than to worship something other than Israel's God, then it's likely he didn't compromise in this area. Friends, 10 days is not long enough. You and I need to push past our hangry. That's the seventh lesson. You must push past your za'af, your haggardness. Push past the haggardness. This is the seventh lesson that I glean. Push past hangry. Ten days is not enough. I did the Daniel plan for ten days. You got to push past hangry. And here is where we'll kind of round off in verse 15 with the last lesson. And after ten days, their appearance seemed better, and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating. Okay, so I have five days for me. Do I look more healthy? Do I look fatter? It says they were fatter than all the youths. How in the world could they be? It literally translates their fatter of flesh. Fatter. How can they look fatter of flesh by eating vegetables and water? And so the overseer continues to withhold their pot bag and the wine they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. Well, the thing, of that, the thing about that phrase, fat of flesh, it's an idiom. It's a Hebrew idiom. Literally translates fat of flesh, but what it means is healthy, healthy. Your flesh looks healthy. Your flesh looks supple. You look healthy today. Fat of flesh. Hey, baby, you look fat of flesh today. What you're saying is you look healthy. You look healthy. That's the Hebrew idiom there. You, and if you know what unhealthy, and I'm sure the doctors have seen, you know what unhealthy flesh looks like. I remember when my dog passed away, um, one of the first things I noticed, I mean, they have these dogs have really soft velvet ears, but once her heart stopped and blood was no longer circulating, instantaneously her dogs, I mean, her ears went from like this pink to like a grayish color. Flesh changes when it's not healthy. Flesh Graze. You can just see this. So to be healthy and fat of flesh, you know, turn to somebody and say, hey, you look fat. Don't, don't turn to somebody. <laughs> Do it after the service. You look fat of flesh today. You look healthy. And I'm going to round off with this. This for me is the most important part. You know, rabbis, uh, interpreters of Old Testament Scripture are notorious for building entire theological cases on one Hebrew conjugation. The word appearance, 
I want to talk about this as I finish off. Appearance, it says their appearance was healthy. They looked flushed. They looked fat of flesh, their appearance. But the thing is, that word appearance is not a noun. In the English, appearance is what? It's a person, place, or thing. It's a noun. But in the Hebrew, it's not a noun. It's a verb. And that verb, ra'ah, is translated to see. And if you translate that with that word to see, it says, at the end of 10 days, they saw, they saw themselves as healthier. Look, we're healthier. But here's the thing. It is not in an active tense. Just follow with me here. The verb is not in an active tense that they are the ones doing the seeing. It is in a passive tense, which means they were seen. In other words, you can't see yourself. Somebody else has to be the one to testify whether you are healthier or not. I see myself just fine. I think that I'm doing well. One of the biggest blind spots that we have, the glaring blind spot, is we have two eyes and they both face outwards. And we are a judge of everything else in the world except ourselves. Why? Because your eyeballs are not turned in this way. You can't see yourself. Your eyeballs are not like, they don't, we don't see us. We only see everybody else. We see what's wrong with the world, but we do not look within. The greatest spiritual gift is the capacity, God-given ability, to look within and to see what's going on inside, rather than to point fingers at the world. This does not say, at the end of 10 days, they saw themselves, I'm better, huh? Huh? 10 days, eating vegetables and water and at night Cheetos, which is what I did last night. I just gave myself a little bit of that, little bit of that free license. It's my cheat day. But I'm better, huh? What do you think? Flat, fat of flesh. But the thing is, it does not say that they saw themselves as healthier. They were seen. They were seen. Friends, how do you know your Daniel plan is successful? You know your Daniel plan is successful when somebody says, Hey, baby, you're looking fat of flesh lately. That's when you know your Daniel plan is successful. You cannot gauge your own Daniel plan. The empirical observation and evidence must come from others. And that's the last lesson. How am I seen? How am I seen? The last lesson is how am I seen? I know I, I always tell that story when you're in t- your 20s, you worry about how people see you. In your 30s, you're, I don't care how people see me. And in your 40s, nobody was seeing you anyway. You realize nobody was looking at you. That's like the most humbling awareness. But for now, it is important to know how I am seen. Because when other people are consistently telling me that I am restless, irritable, discontent, and that I don't look healthy, that I'm not rested, and if I continue to say, well, I don't care, then man, I am digging my own grave. How am I seen can only be determined in a passive sense. It can only be told to me. Change is not something that I can say, well, I'm doing a better job. I'm doing a better job. I'm changing. It has to be told to us. Man, you're... How am I seen? And that's the last and final lesson. And so, as we wrap up, 
as we wrap up Daniel chapter 1, next week getting into some very, very practical stuff um, about the need for friends and accountability in order to stay. You know, I, I guess I'll, I'll let you all keep me accountable. I have one cheat meal a week. It kind of spreads out over a day. One cheat day a week, but, you know, I am eating uh, a lot more vegetables. I'm eating cleaner. Uh, I'll take my coffee black. I'll only take one cup because the cardiologists say one to two cups are allowed now, right? Is that the latest? I've heard the studies go back and forth like no coffee, and then now they're saying one cup is good. But I really want to know, Doc, what's the... You, you heard it here. It is now officially publicized. Dr. So-and-so approved. Three and four cups of coffee is okay. But you can't have cream and sugar in it. Yeah. So I drink it black. I drink it black. So hold each other accountable. Let's pray. God, as we move to a place where we are not just spiritually healthier, but physically as well. We pray that you would break through in a profound way. I ask that you would elicit a transformation within us. I ask that you would um, do a little bit of triggering with our, this, this complicated thing within us called motivation. Causally influence us, I pray, to desire the greater, the more nobler, the good things, the good desires. Help us and give us insight to be able to see that change does not begin with somebody else. It begins with me. And if I am waiting, if I am waiting, then I'm only prolonging my own dis-ease, unhealth. So, Lord, bring, I pray in the name of Jesus, the inspiration and the illumination that comes from your Holy Spirit that helps us to become that which you want us to be, give us exactly what we need, and make a real and lasting change within us that will go beyond Lent, a real and lasting change. And so now, uh, I invite you to just consider what is that one thing that you need to change? Don't look at anybody else. I mean it. Look at yourself. within your enclosed hand take that thing, hold that thing whatever it is, that one thing that you want to change and then gradually unclench your fist and release it letting God take care of it for you you are now in an unclenched moment you are releasing. May God take care of you and give you what you need, doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. This has been a Woven Church podcast. Woven Church is a multi-ethnic missional church that meets in West Houston. We invite you to check us out on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. To find out more, visit us online at www.wovenchurch.org That's www.wovenchurch.org